You're listening to the On The Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending August 7th, 2015. Hi, and welcome back to our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thanks for joining us today. I am Bill Olfer, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I am Bill's colleague, content developer and fellow news writer, Dara Curran. Hello, everyone. Before we get to headlines, we wanted to announce that due to popular demand, our podcast can be found on iTunes. You can find us by searching on ASI Government or by the title of the podcast, On the Go with VAO. You can listen to the podcast directly on iTunes or download the news to your computer or mobile device. And, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast so that it will download automatically to your device when the new releases arrive. Oh, my gosh. It's so high tech. <laughs> so I'm Very so impressed with us. <laughs> All right. the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the proper millennium. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk headlines. Uh, to start literally at the top, President Barack Obama is drafting an executive order that would require federal contractors and subcontractors to offer employees at least 56 hours of paid sick leave each year that would encompass health care, not only for the employee, but also caring for other individuals with whom the employee has a close family-like relationship, such as domestic partners. Employees would be able to accrue unused leave indefinitely and would not be compelled to find a replacement as a condition of obtaining approval to use those hours. The Department of Labor would be directed to issue implementing regulations for the order by September 30, 2016. The Government Accountability Office has compiled a report for Congress summarizing proven practices agencies can incorporate to improve the effectiveness of their strategic reviews. The seven identified strategies include establishing a well-defined review process that identifies all the personnel involved, how goals will be rated, and each process step, clearly defining measurable outcomes for each strategic objective, including key stakeholders in the review process, and developing a process to monitor progress on each of the needed individual actions. Naval Sea Systems Command will use its experience awarding large and complex contracts to lead the issuance of a task order to provide identity monitoring, data breach response, and protection services for individuals affected by the recent cyber attack on the Office of Personal Management's background investigation system. An interagency team comprised of OPM, the General Services Administration, and Office of Management and Budget officials will review proposals and make the award decision. In parallel, GSA has scuttled and will reissue a new request for quotations for a blanket purchase agreement for that same set of services. The agency had issued the original RFQ in April 2015, but as we all know, the government's needs and scope of their procurement has changed significantly since then. The Department of Commerce has created its own internal group to help its components create and develop projects. Modeled after GSA's 18F team, the Commerce Data Corps will launch with a $3 million budget and focus on finding efficiencies and cost savings in IT projects. We had lots of other GSA news this week. Uh, First up, congratulations to Denise Turner-Roth, who was confirmed by the Senate on Thursday as GSA's next administrator. Turner-Roth has been serving as acting administrator since the resignation of Dan Tangerlini earlier this year. 
GSA is taking steps to mitigate what could be a large-scale off-ramping of federal supply schedule contractors who participated in a 1990s-era program called the Evergreen Initiative. The idea at the time was to increase stability and reduce administrative burdens on GSA and its vendors by allowing contract terms of up to 20 years. And now those contracts are coming to an end. The Coalition for Government Procurement wrote to GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, saying that without steps to mitigate this tide of expiring contracts, the scheduled contractor pool and thus competition could take a big hit. The coalition noted that it currently takes about nine months for new offers to be reviewed and awarded, and the top 25 firms on IT Schedule 70 will also have to undergo an Inspector General pre-award audit at their last option, which could take an additional year or two. In response to the coalition's letter, FAS said it is addressing the issue by prioritizing expiring contracts based on volume of sale and remaining contract term, working to migrate some 370 contractors to its new professional services schedule, and waiving certain elements of the application process. GSA has an interesting program to help save money and prevent unneeded items from becoming landfill. The agency has a reuse center located at its Denver site, which reallocates construction and demolition materials to facilities that need them. For example, last year, GSA was able to replace damaged flooring at Bureau of Land Management offices with unneeded carpet tiles from one of its own downtown Denver buildings and was able to furnish and carpet an on-site office for one of its Denver contractors, saving about $2,500. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper this week appointed James Matheny as the next director of the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity. Matheny was serving as the director of the agency's Office for Anticipating Surprise, possibly the best organization name in history, and previously worked in the Office of Incisive Analysis. To help Army components as they prepare to comply with a directive which requires enterprise-level systems and applications to be moved to approve cloud hosting environments by the close of fiscal year 2018, the service has released new guidance which clarifies exceptions to the migration requirement, identifies roles and responsibilities for managing migrations and using commercial cloud services providers, and outlines cybersecurity and commercial cloud acquisition and use requirements. As the end of this fiscal year approaches, the Office of Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy has issued a reminder to defense components on the proper and effective use of federal supply schedule contracts. DPAP Director Claire Grady particularly urged components to focus on seeking discounts, ensuring that products or services meet bona fide needs requirements, and documenting that prices obtained are fair and reasonable. And we had lots of regulatory activity this week. Uh, First up, the Department of Defense issued a correction to a final rule that implemented inflation adjustments to acquisition-related dollar thresholds. Invertly, the dollar threshold related to the preparation of a consolidated requirements acquisition strategy was changed from $6 million to $6.5 million. This document withdraws that amendment effective October 1, 2015, the same effective date as the original final rule. DOD also issued a proposed rule that would amend the DFARS to provide guidance on the use of the authority to require the submission of other than cost or pricing data. Currently, offers submitting proposals for negotiated procurements are required to provide certified cost or pricing data under certain circumstances if the estimated value of the procurement is above a certain dollar threshold. For other types of procurements, such as commercial item purchases, Offers are only required to provide data other than certified cost or pricing data to the extent necessary to determine the reasonableness of the price. 
Section 831 of the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2013 requires DOD to issue guidance on the use of this authority to require the submission of other than cost or pricing data, and this proposed rule adds guidelines and instructions for requiring and obtaining this data and adds new definitions and sections to support this requirement. Comments on the proposed rule must be submitted by October 2, 2015 to be considered in the formation of a final rule. DOD, GSA, and NASA have again extended the comment period for a proposed rule implementing the Fair Pay and Safe Workplaces Executive Order. The deadline for submitting comments is being moved from August 11th to August 26, 2015. The due date for comments on the Department of Labor's related guidance also has been extended to August 26th. And finally, nine federal agencies have issued proposed rules to clarify the use of federal funding to support social services provided by faith-based and community groups. The rules implement changes that were developed at President Obama's request by the Pfizer Council for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. The rules were published by the Departments of Agriculture, Education, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, Housing and Urban Development, Justice, Labor and Veteran Affairs, and the U.S. Agency for International Development. In part, the rules would clarify the definitions of direct and indirect financial assistance and replace the term inherently religious activities with the term explicitly religious activities. It would prevent organizations from using federal funding for explicitly religious activities and keep those activities separate in time and location from federally supported programs. It would require organizations to provide beneficiaries with written notice of their religious liberty protections and add a provision that awards for federal financial assistance must be merit-based and free from political interference. So for discussion this week, I, we technically covered this in last Friday's news, but I thought it hit on some interesting points. And so let's just say it squeaked in under the wire, shall we? Um, former Office of Federal Procurement Policy Administrator Joe Jordan gave an interview in which he discussed federal agencies' really stellar small business contracting performance for the past fiscal year and what he sees as the next stage of evolution in how the government manages its contracting with smaller firms. Now, he was really positive, obviously, about how well federal agencies had done in the past fiscal year. Um, and one thing he pointed out is that, you know, he has had some time since, you know, he worked with OFPP and now he's, he's off with FedBid to really see the evolution of how this has been going. And he pointed out that contracting with small businesses keeps on an upward trajectory, no matter what is happening with federal contracting dollars overall. And so he pointed this out as proof that that has really become just entrenched. I mean, agencies and the administration, everybody has been pulling so hard with this SBA that all of the hard work is really paying off and, you know, they're kind of reaping the, the benefits of, of all of that groundwork that they have laid. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you also touched on something that we see brought up every year, like clockwork, whenever results are announced, especially good results. Mm. Um, and that's whether large firms are able to help themselves to a little slice of this pie, uh, <laughs> you know, when they're not really not really supposed to. You know, right after SBA announced uh, the great performance for last year, the American Small Business League countered with their own statement, uh, suggesting that 60 companies from the Fortune 500 had been counted among those small business contracts. And I mean, you know, we, there's protest mechanisms in place if a big firm, you know, tries to sneak in somehow under the radar in a solicitation. I'm, you know, I'm sure that, you know, there are a lot of recognizable names that wouldn't get past a contracting officer, but there are also obviously large firms that maybe have grown out of their size status that, you know, they're not household names. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, there are some legitimate gray areas. Um, and Jordan actually did a really good job explaining the challenges inherent in deciding who counts as what. You know, for example, I think most people would agree that it's excellent and and it's very worthy for the government to award a contract that helps grow a small business into the next size category. And you know, Jordan points out that's exactly how it happens a lot of times. These small businesses win a federal contract that's bringing in profit, uh, that they're able to, you know, enough that they're able to expand their services or mm-hmm. they're able to raise their profile so that they can partner with larger firms, um, you know, increase their abilities, increase their opportunities, increase their staff. But we're looking at these contracts. If there's something that's been locked in for a few years, right? You know, mm-hmm. a company that was small at the time the contract was awarded suddenly is no longer so small sure. as a result of the contract. Uh, <laughs> and, and now there's you know people outside government calling for the you know the these contracts to be recategorized as not small business mm-hmm. as as not counting towards uh, government's goals. Um, you know, to me, that's a disincentive, right? I mean, that that that's the kind of event that the government wants to bring about. Approach. Absolutely. That's, okay, that's what they want. Yeah. Yeah, so, to, so to say, oh, well, four years ago you awarded a contract and that business isn't small anymore because you've been giving them too much money. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. That's, that's a disincentive, right? Absolutely, that you want, yeah. that's, what, that's what government's trying to encourage. Yeah, you want to reward the contracting officers who, you know, work to make the outreach for these small businesses, reward them for all of that hard work. And, I mean, it almost seems, you know – Obviously, you can see the other point in terms of just gross numbers, whether that's, you know, the income or headcount or whatever. You can see, oh, all right, well, you know, they don't really fit in that parameter anymore. So it's almost like maybe there needs to be like a new category for how that is counted, you know. Um, So anyway, that's that was just one of the, you know, interesting points that he brought up. Another one is um, that. You know, since all of these good habits are so entrenched, right, and and since everybody is now just consistently habituated to making this really robust outreach routine, that it's almost oversimplifying things in a way to keep flogging that specific numeric goal, 24 percent or 25 or whatever it's going to be in the coming years or whatever. Jordan suggests that maybe they should be looking more at what are the practices that brought us to this point and how can we replicate that? How can we expand that? Not, you know, are we at, oh, we're at 24.99, let's put our pencils down, you know, like, and, and not that that's not what people do necessarily, but, you know, I think that that's like a really good point. And, uh, and he also points out one of the challenges right now, it's not, small businesses are, not necessarily needing special treatment. They're also, he notes from you know his perspective where he's sitting at Fedbid, they are when they give them a lay, level playing field, they are bringing the value too. You know, it used to be sort of a a preconception that oh well it's a small business and they don't have the volume and so they can't offer the you know the discounts that a larger firm can and he says that really just doesn't hold up at all anymore they they are totally like pulling it in terms of price and performance and value but where there is still a challenge is actually reaching them when there is an agency need that rfp opportunity they do not have personnel necessarily who are you know weeding through all the federal bidding opportunities he himself went on to fed ops and uh, set a test alert for areas that he wanted to be notified of opportunities in and jordan said he got just hundreds literally hundreds of opportunities back to sort through, which, you know, okay, maybe it sounds like an embarrassment of riches, but 
that is too much for a small firm to sift through all of these. And and he had even used very specific criteria, uh, you know, geographic stipulations and specific categories and other refining factors. And, hey, this is a man who knows his way around the federal procurement process, and he was saying he's overwhelmed. So, you know, that's certainly something to to consider. And, you know, even when the small businesses do find the open opportunities, we know that the paperwork for them and, and the compliance regulations, they can be really onerous. We talked about that last week when we discussed the firms had a really positive reaction to these solicitations we're starting to see where they're being asked to develop a prototype deliverable as part of that selection process. They like that because they get an opportunity to show what they can really do. And, you know, to a certain extent, isn't that what agencies are after as well? I mean, ultimately, you're not looking for a vendor who knows how to fill out the paperwork properly. You want somebody who can really kick butt at whatever job it is you have open, right? Right, right. Yeah, you're looking for somebody who can deliver, not just deliver paperwork. Yes, yes. And yeah, well, that push to connect better with small businesses uh, you know, to bring in that fresh new perspective, right, and the ability to move quickly. Um, yeah, that's something we keep hearing about over and over again. Um, better buying power 3.0. That's that's uh, that's brought that up again. Um, that has a focus on new research and development and pushing boundaries in R&D. And that really emphasizes increasing small business outreach. I mean, we see DOD has its Silicon Valley office, and that's that's partly connecting with big tech firms, but it's also looking at those small startups, right? You know, to bring bring that innovation, bring in in. I sorry, I said the innovation word again this week. We promised we wouldn't do that. But it, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to throw in the buzzword. But they're bringing in those new firms, right? They're bringing in the little small startups um, with the, that kind of outreach. Um, you know, contests and challenges also are touted as a good way to remove that barrier to entry. Uh, that otherwise might prevent small businesses from bringing their skills and ideas to the government sector. So meta idea, what we need is a challenger contest about how to come up with the best small business outreach ideas <laughs> beyond just having contests and stuff like that. Yes. Well, that's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Our subscribers can find links to all the headlines that we've recapped for further reading on VAO on the same page where you downloaded this podcast, unless, of course, it came from iTunes, which case disregard that. Yes, and you can also comment about the podcast. We'd love to have your feedback on the format or content or anything else you'd like to tell us. Tune in again on August 14th for the next weekly news recap. Thanks so much for joining us.